Monday morning runs Sunday night screaming Slow me down before the new year dies Well, it won't take much to kill a loving smile And every mother with a baby crying in her arms Singing, give me help, give me strength Give a soul a night I fell asleep Give me love, give me peace Don't you know these days you pay for Game Night OT on TSN 690 Montreal, your home for the Habs. Welcome back. Dave Kaufman and Mo Khan here with you. Talking a little baseball on this beautiful freezing night. Uh, it's supposed to be warmer this weekend, isn't it? Yeah, it's supposed to go above zero yeah. this weekend. That's awful for us, though. Football fans, you mean? Well, it becomes slush, then it becomes ice, which is awful. Driving. Oh, I thought you meant because we're sitting on the couch watching football, so oh, we're not outside to enjoy fantastic it. Fantastic for us, that. Our Sunday couch potatoes, <laughs> yes. It's a Saturday couch, too, this weekend. That though. is right. Late afternoon, early evening. It's going to be a good couch weekend. Looking forward to it. Can't wait. Like we said before, many a potato chip shall be eaten. <laughs> <laughs> Let's uh, bring in our next guest. We've uh, already spoken with two BBWAA writers. This is the third. He's the one with the vote. That's right. Jeff Baker's been covering baseball for a while now. No, not the Montreal Expos. Well, he was writing for the Gazette, Mo. He that's was writing correct. for the Gazette. That's true. NNA winner with the Montreal Gazette. I think that's a pretty big deal, i got to say. I'm going to mention that every time he comes on. Last week, uh, last time when I had him on the Kaufman Show, I mentioned the uh, Jeff Baker, Paul Wells portrait hanging above the escalator at the Montreal Gazette offices on Peel and St. Catherine. And, uh, but Jeff, uh, I think he left late 90s to cover the Blue Jays and now writes uh, for the Seattle Times- had an amazing expose that was the talk of baseball. Frankly, that was the most discussion that MLB got up until yesterday when uh, he talked about the dysfunctional nature of the Seattle Mariners. Just an incredible expose. And uh, we are lucky to be joined once again by Jeff Baker from the Seattle Times. Good evening, Jeff. Hey, good evening, guys. Thanks How are you? Oh, well, thanks so much. Uh, you're the uh, you're the third and final after David Larilla from Fangraphs and Jonah Carey. And... Uh, We've been uh, beating this uh, subject to death. I'm fascinated by just the way that everything sort of blew up yesterday about Major League Baseball and about the Hall of Fame. Well, I think a lot of people are passionate about it, obviously. I mean, I know both the gentlemen that you spoke to. I know them both pretty well. I've known Jonah Carey for many, many years, going back to our college days at Concordia. But, um, yeah, you know, it doesn't surprise me, given that, you know, just the very nature of the Baseball Hall of Fame, you you look at it and you look at the threshold, 75% of the votes are needed to get inducted, and then, you know, there's a limit on the number of people you can have on the ballot and the whole steroids controversy, everything. I mean, it was a pretty high threshold to begin with to get into the baseball. It's not like the NHL where Clark Gillies can get in and every member of the 1967 Leafs can, can make it to the <laughs> NHL Hall of Fame. I mean, Baseball Hall of Fame's got a pretty high standard as far as making it, and, and it's been made even higher because of the whole steroids controversy and because of, the, you know, the backlog that you're getting on the ballots now. And a lot of baseball fans are very passionate, and I think it's great for the sport, frankly. I think it's great that you can have this much discussion that goes on for days before and even days after a Hall of Fame nomination, and you just don't get that in other sports. You don't see it in the NFL. You certainly don't see it in the NHL. And, uh, you know, I, I just think it's good for baseball that so many people are talking about it. Uh, you know, I don't know what's going to come of it 
as far as rules changes go. But, uh, you know, I, I think the Hall of Fame's done a pretty good job uh, getting things to this level, just, just just setting things up to the point where we can have these kinds of discussions that go on. What did you think of the news today of uh, Dan LeBetard losing his vote for, losing his vote and losing membership privileges for a year? Yeah, I mean, I look, I, I thought that you know obviously had to be done. Um, yeah, you know, I'm of the belief that if you might dislike something, first of all, you know, I got to say the people in Canada have to understand this. There's a fundamental difference between living in Canada and living in the United States. And just the level of discourse, I think, that you you see in both countries. I mean, you just got to look at what happens in the United States now on a political level. You know, never mind sports. I mean, you look at the paralysis in government that you have here, just how polarized people are. You had a shutdown of the government a couple of years ago. And unfortunately, this has become the norm in the United States, where if you don't agree with something, you know, you just ignore it. You know, so somebody passes the law, well, you're just going to ignore the law and you'll, you'll shut down the government until you force somebody to change the law. And that, that's kind of become the accepted norm south of the border right now. And unfortunately, I mean, Dan Levitard, obviously, look, the guy's a, a great columnist. He's been that way for years at the Miami Herald. And he's got a you know, pretty widely respected uh, platform as far as radio goes with ESPN. And, you know, highly visible personality uh, with ESPN. Unfortunately, though, for a guy with such a voice, a guy who's got, you know, obviously way bigger voice than, than probably 75% of the people voting yesterday. I, I mean, he chose to basically say, well, if they're not going to vote the way I want, I'm just going to give my vote away. And I don't understand that. I mean, he had a great opportunity. I, I think that, it, you know, you might not like something as far as the process goes. But then it's up to you to try to work within that process and try to change the process, not to make a mockery of it, not to use a pulpit that you have, which which was already bigger than, like I said, the overwhelming majority of voters, uh, you know, and give your vote away in a circus-like fashion like that and try to make a mockery of the process. I think somebody with a pulpit as big as his, as he has could have tried to um, exercise it in a better way, could, could have tried to use his intelligence and use his influence in a much better way than he did. I don't understand what he did. Frankly, it almost looks like a cry for attention. And like I said, he doesn't really need it. He's already got a big enough platform south of the border. Um, but it's almost like this, this thing that we see so often here in, this, in the United States now in politics and in, in all realms of society, whereas, hey, if you don't like what the other guy's saying, just ignore him. Just, just make a mockery of the process. Just paralyze things as best you can, rather than try to have an intelligent discussion and try to change it. There's no patience level. Everybody wants things changed 30 seconds from now. Nobody wants to wait and try to amend the process and try to work through things slowly. And I don't think, frankly, that the voting process needs a drastic overhaul. I'm not even convinced it needs any kind of overhaul. Um, you know, I'm open to suggestions, but I've yet to see a case made that the Baseball Hall of Fame needs to radically change its rules as far as the voting process goes. Obviously, Dan Levitard disagrees with me. Um, well, I'll tell you, you know, I, just, and, and I disagree with you too, Jeff. I, I, don't, I, I just don't agree with the way he went, uh, went about it at all. I think when you see guys like Ken Gurnick uh, submit a ballot with just Jack Morris on it, it shows you that the, the process is somewhat flawed. And, and I, as far as Levitard, you know, maybe craving attention, supposedly he sought anonymity for this. 
And I feel like if we didn't know who had let the vote out, all the conversation on radio right now would be about the gutless Hall of Fame voter who didn't have the courage to come out and say what he did and sold it to Deadspin. So he's kind of, I feel, in a catch-22 spot right now. Well, the difference between Lebetard and, and Gurnick is that Gurnick actually stayed within the realm of what he was allowed to do. I mean, look, yeah. we don't have to agree with voting for Jack Morris at all. But unfortunately, you know what? You have federal elections in Canada where people cast you know, votes for, for the Green Party or for parties that have no chance of winning and that everybody knows couldn't form a legitimate government sure. if they had to. But it's just protest parties. It's protest this. The same thing happens in the United States. And, you know, in Gurnick's case, he explained his vote. He doesn't trust anybody from the steroids era, albeit I'll, I'll grant him that era. I mean, I don't necessarily agree with that logic, but he stayed within the rules. And the rules say you can't give your vote away to a, to a non-voting entity, which is what Levitard did. And Levitard knew exactly what he was doing. He yeah. knew exactly what was going to happen when he did this. And he did it as an attention-generating ploy, and it certainly paid off that way. It generated a lot of attention. And, you know, look, I, I'm not going to apologize. Anytime you get 600 voters in anything or, or 600,000 or 6 million voters, you're always going to have a few people who, who cast votes that, hey, you, you don't necessarily agree with the logic of it. And some of it's way out there. Some of it's flawed. I mean, that's called democracy, unfortunately. But in Levitard's case, he strayed far outside the, the bounds of what he knew was acceptable. And so he has to pay the price for it. A couple of minutes left with Jeff Baker from the Seattle Times, Mo Khan, Dave Kaufman. This is Game Night OT. And I wanted to ask you, Jeff, Montreal, obviously, the conversation is about Tim Raines not getting in. I would imagine in Seattle, it's a similar conversation about Edgar, right? Yeah, there, there's a discussion about it. Sure. Um, I mean, I think there's a very big difference between the two. Uh, obviously, more voters are in favor of Tim Raines than of Edgar Martinez. I mean, we've seen that now repeat itself for several years in a row. Um, and, and I agree with that. I mean, I voted for Tim Raines, and I'll keep voting for Tim Raines, not because I'm from Montreal, but because Tim Raines played offense and he played defense. And, and you know, for anybody who's spent any amount of time around a baseball player, um, they, they can tell you that the physical wear and tear on your body playing defense is, is night and day different from, from a guy who just has to go to bat four times a game. And so I would say, and I haven't voted for Edgar Martinez, which is pretty famous here in Seattle, you know, for the last five seasons because, because of that. I mean, look, it's, if you're going to not play the field, um, you know, the way Andre Dawson had to do when he was with the Expos with arthritic knees playing on a concrete turf, Day after day, because he happened to play in the National League, and then the same thing in Chicago, happened to play in the National League and didn't have the benefit of playing in the American League. I mean, if you're going to be like Edgar Martinez and be a DH all those years, I mean, your offensive totals better skyrocket beyond the other candidates that are out there. Well, I'm it, pretty it sure. be so far and away better than the other candidates out there that, like, there's just a slam dunk. No, no, no debate thing. And for Edgar, I think he's right on the cusp. I think he's right on the borderline. But unfortunately for him, I don't think he had the longevity that some of these other guys we're talking about had, uh, especially considering he didn't have to play the field. If Edgar had played the field, would he have lasted as long as he did, or would he have cut his career short four years earlier? We'll never know. Well, all those but, DH starts at the end of his career helped Frank Thomas uh, pad his numbers for sure, right? Yeah, but Frank Thomas, there's a difference. Frank Thomas also had the career staff. He had the milestone staff that Edgar Martinez doesn't have. I mean, he had the longevity, and he had, he had the rate staff, and he had the counting staff to go with it. And he also played for, for champions. I mean, we, we don't even have to get into that part of it with, with Frank Thomas because, 
you know, he had both. He had the rate stats, uh, sorry, the rate stats and the counting stats. Edgar Martinez has the rate stats, and the rate stats alone for Edgar, I think, are, are almost there. They're they're just they're more like a, at a Larry Walker kind of level, I would say, uh, considering Walker had to play the field the you know the entire time. There's just such a difference. The physical toll it takes on your body compared to to a guy who doesn't have to play the field. It's night and day different, and and frankly. You know, I, I don't see that much of a night and day difference between a guy like Larry Walker and a guy like Edgar Martinez. Obviously, Edgar has the superior offensive numbers, but the defense that Walker had to play, regardless of whether it was great all the time or not, I mean, the fact he had to suit up and go out there nine innings a night in the field, it makes a huge difference. Same thing with Moises Alou. I mean, Moises Alou had a number of really high-caliber offensive seasons, almost comparable to Edgar Martinez, not quite. But Moises Alou also had to suit up and go out there in the outfield, and he had to play it. On, as we know, he ripped up his leg. I think it was in St. Louis about 20 years ago. I, I mean, it's, it's just such a difference between doing that and having to be at the age. It, it just, it, it, for me, there's no comparison. I'll never forget and, that Alou know, play. Thomas, oh. Sorry, I said I'll never forget that Alou play. Yeah, no, I won't either. I watched it live on television. I cringe every time. I think about it. I mean, I was working at the Gazette when it happened, and I remember watching. I think I was working night police at the time, and I saw it happen on a television set, and I didn't think he'd ever play again. But, yeah, he came back, and he played, and he played the field, and he was a very good outfielder for most of his career. Same thing with Tim Raines. was a very good outfielder throughout most of his career, and for me, that carries a lot of weight. If you're a two-way player, it carries a lot of weight. If you're going to be a one-dimensional offensive player, you'd better soar so far beyond those other guys that like, it makes it a, a no-doubter, a no-brainer. And Edgar Martinez did that for a good part of his career, but not long enough. He doesn't have anything close to the uh, counting stats that a lot of the long-timers have, like, like a Frank Thomas. Uh, and, and for me, like I said, he's right on the borderline. I guess three-quarters of the electorate agrees. Uh, you know, so happy we traded... Uh... Zane Smith to Pittsburgh for that young Alou at the time. Mo, you have a, a last question for Jeff? Yeah, Jeff, with Craig Bezier not getting in this year, how many years does this set back Tim Raines, considering we have Randy Johnson, Pedro Martinez, Ken Griffey all coming up for, for nomination in the next couple of years? Yeah, I, I mean, unfortunately, I think it's going to set Tim Raines back a bit. I mean, I really don't get the Raines thing, frankly, because, I mean, you, you guys have all heard the argument. Obviously, he got on base just about as much as Tony Gwynn did, yeah. you know, minus the hits. And, and, you know, I, I mean, I watched Reigns live from the time he broke in with the Expos as, as a fan back in the early 80s. And, you know, I remember him putting two feet on the AstroTurf when he took his lead off the first base, and nobody ever did that before. I mean, he, he was just incredible as a base stealer. He just destabilized the opposing pitcher so much. And, you know, that, I guess that's one of the, those cases where you actually had to see him play. And I'd also say the, the reason he's not in. you, you got to actually see what these guys do on the field. And Reigns was great. So I think it's going to put him back a couple of years. Bichio is obviously going to get in next year. I mean, it was you know basically a statistical fluke that he didn't make it this year. Right. A lot of people are making a big deal out of it. I, I don't see it being that big a deal. He'll make it next year. I'd say, uh, Jeff, that the— there, uh, there are a few worthy people coming up. I think Reigns is going to have to wait a couple of years. I think that the reason for Reigns would be Coke— but uh, Paul Molitor was the first ballot Hall of Famer, so I just don't know anymore. Yeah, well, I mean, I honestly, I, I read Richard Griffin's column in the Toronto Star, and it was really, really good column. Uh, following up twenty years later, what happened? Thirty years later, what happened after the Wayne Parrish story of thirty years ago in Montreal about the Coke thing? Honestly, I, I don't think too many people in the United States even even think about that right now when they think about Reigns. I mean, it, it crops up for me because I watched him with the Expos, but I, I don't 
hear all that much said about Tim Raines and his coke days back, back with the Expo. I really think it's a non-issue with him. I just think he, he's a victim of the fact that he didn't have a whole lot of hits. Uh, I mean, he did have a lot of hits, but, you know, if people consider how much he got on base versus, like, Tony Gwynn, a first ballot Hall of Famer, I think it should be a slam dunk. And I, and I think people are going to come around to that. I just think he's one of those guys where it's going to take several more years for it to happen. Well, let's hope it happens soon because that would be a hell of a party in Cooperstown. I, I think so. I mean, the, Tim Raines had a – I mean, it, it just every everybody forgets that, you know, when he had his best base-stealing days, it was – Back in 1981, when they had the split season and the strike, or else he would have, you know, obliterated the base stealing record back then. And then Ricky Henderson came along about a year or two later and just wiped the record off off the planet. I think, you know, he suffers a bit from that—the fact that he's not Ricky Henderson. For sure. But really, Who is, as far right? as the National League goes, he was the Ricky Henderson nationally. He was yeah. he was a, an awesome player to watch. Any other era, and he would be in the Hall of Fame already. Uh, Jeff, thank you so much for your time tonight. We really appreciate it as always, and. Uh, only a month till spring training, eh? Yeah, it's uh, you know it, it's going to be fun for some teams. I don't know about the Seattle Mariners, but they do have Robinson Cano now, so it might make it more interesting for them. Jeff, thanks so much for your time. Take care, guys. Have a good night. Game night OT. We'll be back to wrap up after this.